Welcome to the Freedom to Rise podcast, a production of United Way Suncoast. Here's your host, Chief Impact Officer, Emery Ivory. Our guest tonight has worked in senior management for Florida Blue for 15 years. He started with the state's leading health insurer as a regional business development director in 2006 in Tampa Bay. In 2020, he was promoted to local market leader for Florida Blue's Southwest Florida region. And in that role, he's charged with developing, leading, and executing a hyper-local strategy for Florida Blue with a focus on a region that spans from Manatee to Collier County. So he's well aware of the five counties served by United Way Suncoast. Tonight, we'll talk about Florida Blue's commitment to health that goes beyond insurance. It's an effort to break the cycle of generational poverty in one specific zip code, and it's efforts to impact the opioid epidemic. After that, I'll give my big takeaway. But first, it's my pleasure to welcome Florida Blue Southwest Florida local market leader, Nick Kors, to the podcast. Nick, before we ask you about some of Florida Blue's specific efforts uh, to elevate health, I wanted to talk about serving as the local market leader. Changing roles in 2020, such a pivotal year for everyone, but especially for a health provider, had to come with uh, some challenges. How's it going now that you are moving into your second year as a market leader for Southwest Florida? Well, thank you so much for the question. It's it's great joining you, and thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah, it has been it's been a whirlwind. It's hard to believe I've been in this role for it's going on two years, and, and with the company, it'll be 16 years in August. And you know, the pandemic presented some challenges, uh, particularly around this transition, because you know part of this role. A great part of this role is to be very visible in the community. And what we mean by hyper-local is just that. We want to understand all of Florida, all of our communities. It's what I think is our secret sauce. We're a Florida-based company. If you think 16 years is a long time, Florida Blue is over 75 years old. We are headquartered in Jacksonville. We have market presidents in four of our major metros in Jacksonville, Orlando, South Florida, and in Tampa. Where I happen to, to live and work. But it's part of you know, our desire to understand the state, to have representation, to understand the needs of the community at a very deep level. And I think this pandemic really exposed some vulnerabilities. And I think we okay. were very lucky to be positioned, you know, having, you know, even though I couldn't go out and meet a lot of people, I was able to meet some folks in Sarasota. I knew that, for example, and being part of the community board, uh, Sarasota Community Board, Manatee, Sarasota, DeSoto, um, Suncoast, uh, United Way Community Board, I think is going to help me get that context about what is, uh, you know, what, what the social drivers are, what's going on in the community. But I, I learned pretty quickly DeSoto has a lot of need, DeSoto County. Yeah. I learned very quickly that just about every child in that county uh, qualifies for free reduced lunches. Mm-hmm. I understood fairly quickly that 68% of families are Alice families. Mm-hmm. And so I'm happy to report that even though I couldn't meet a lot of folks face-to-face, we had data. And you know, part of what this pandemic has done, I, I would say a positive thing, the silver lining, is we've gotten much better at going deep with the data. So hyperlocal do- doesn't just mean being there, being a face, meeting our business community, our nonprofit community, understanding the social drivers. It also means being better with data internally, reporting, 
understanding the, the needs of our members in terms of chronic disease management, in terms of understanding food deserts and transportation issues and all the social determinants. So the data has been very, very, very important. And because of that data, we decided to do one of our COVID vaccination clinics in Arcadia. And we had, you know, 250 people show up at a mobile location. And we were very intentional about going to it because we, we started to understand the data. And we had 200 people vaccinated at that particular day. And many of them, I think, you know, there were members that, that knew about this because we let our members know, but there were quite a few migrant workers that came literally in trucks during their lunch hour. So we were very, very proud that we were serving the community, all of, all of Florida. And, and that's really, I think, what makes us uh, you know, who we are. Yeah, absolutely. And that's certainly in a community that's often overlooked during crises such as these. And, and you're right, you know, uh, DeSoto has one of the highest population of Alice families, uh, you know, really in the state. And there's a lot of these. So, so glad that you were able to provide some uh, services to, to those families there. By the way, also, thank you for joining our board and participating. We appreciate that. Look forward to working with you. So tell us about Florida Blue's overall outlook. Why does its focus go beyond the core of the business in helping people and communities? And what role does the social determinants of health play in that effort? Wow. Well, that, that's, quite, that's probably three questions. <laughs> I'm going I'm to do my best maybe by going a little, about 10 years back and talk a little bit about our parent company, Guidewood. I think the first step in all of this was to differentiate ourselves. You know, if about 10 years ago, we, uh, we had Guidewell, our holding company, our parent company. We became, you know, we changed from a health insurance company to a health solutions company about 10 years ago. Okay. So Guidewell serves about 45 million folks in 45 states, but Florida Blue is exclusive to Florida. We did this because we wanted to be a health solutions company, not just a health insurance company. So not just financing health but really going also into the delivery of care. Uh, so we do that through uh, our Sanitas clinics that are around the state in Orlando and Tampa and South Florida. We do that through uh, Guidewell Emergency Doctors, which are essentially ER or emergency departments. We've got six of them in Tampa Bay. So we felt it was necessary to do that because the solutions are really about innovation and keeping track um, mm-hmm. with the trends we're seeing in the state. So just uh, not being, you know, solely focused on, on insurance. But I want to say, you know, our mission is helping people and communities achieve better health. And I want to go back to the pandemic to just talk about some of the things that, you know, we, we learned. We have, a, you know, a Florida Blue Foundation. And one of the things that we focus on, one of our health drivers is health equity. Mm-hmm. And we learned very quickly through the data, the need to look at disparities very differently. You talked about social drivers. And I'm going to say this over and over, is the data has been so important. And during the COVID pandemic, Dr. Kelly Tice, who is now our chief health equity officer. So we created a position. This is after sort of two years of understanding what the data was telling us, looking at the disparity, looking at the drivers. And we've known this for for a number of years, but it really took the pandemic to show us that Morbidity was different in communities. People were getting sicker. They were dying at different rates. Vaccination rates. The data also told us that folks were not getting vaccinated at the same rate, depending on the zip code they lived in, depending on race, depending on socioeconomic factors. This was problematic. 
We, we couldn't sit by and allow that. And so we took a very, very serious look at creating this position of, of chief health equity officer. And Dr. Kelly Tice has been instrumental. She was guiding our COVID response internally with our employees, with our members from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And she's a family doctor. She has a background in population health as well. So she has, and, and, and others, of course, really changing our sort of lens, how we look at healthcare, specifically through the lens of social drivers and disparities. And because our foundation has that focus of, of health equity and racial equity, we took that very serious in terms of how do we take the data and make it actionable? How do we take this lens of social determinants and make it sort of endemic to the enterprise? Everything we do has to come through that lens, has to be considered through that lens. So I wanted to say that, you know, and we did another thing. We actually added inclusion to one of our values. And that happened uh, literally just at the end of last year into this year. So now we have six values and inclusion is one of them. So I think the organization really, because of the pandemic, because of what we were seeing, especially in the first few months, if you, if you recall, people were losing yeah. their jobs. There was so much uncertainty. And we really started to see communities fall behind that were already vulnerable. Yeah. So we wanted to identify, we, we really raced to identify those communities through our internal reporting, and we did what, we, what was needed to take that data and make it actionable. So we have an equity website now that we have actually, within you know, 15 months, we put together that shows us where the vulnerability indexes is by zip code and tract. And we've, we've taken that information and we share that with our nurses. We share that with our clinicians. We share that with our uh, retail centers. Uh, we've got you know, 23 around the state, and each of them have uh, outreach. We call them social workers. Some of them are licensed as social workers, but essentially they're meeting our members and community and connecting them to resources. So every center has that. And so they're guided by this data. By this. So we take social determinants very seriously because we know they also impact care and particularly around chronic disease management, they can play a huge role in outcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, literally you have somebody who has had a procedure and they leave, you know, the hospital and based on where they live, mm. based on where they live, their outcomes may be drastically different in terms of even morbidity, in terms of, yeah. you know, how, how they, you know, recover from open heart surgery or how they recover from, you know, any type of, uh, invasive procedure or, or long-term care. So it's important. It's important to our members. It's important to the community uh, that we serve to understand these drivers, to understand these communities. Again, going back to that hyper-local mm-hmm. lens. But, it, but hyper-local is not, you know, it has to also take into account the disparities. It has to, has to take into account all of the unique communities. And, and some of them are simply more vulnerable than others. Yeah. And we want to know who they are. That's amazing work you all are, are taking on, and we really appreciate it. I'm sure the community really, really appreciates your support. So I mentioned the university area, and I know Florida Blue has a, uh, a specific program aimed at breaking the cycle of uh, generational poverty in two zip codes that comprise that university district area. And that's a tall order uh, for a part of Tampa where 
the poverty rate is somewhere around 58%. And your Growing Resilient Communities Initiative also targets three other zip codes in Florida. Can you tell us a little bit more about that effort? Yeah. You know, I, I was part of those discussions back in 2019 and, and the way we're set up, and perhaps this, this, this is helpful. We've got the Florida Blue Foundation that does grant making. We also have corporate giving. We also have, you know, philanthropic giving that we do at the, at the regional and local level. And so back in 2019, you know, we were, we were working with different organizations and community organizations, and certainly the United Way, we've been you know, working very closely with you all across the state for many years and feeding Tampa Bay and so many others. But we started to think about, you know, longevity and how can we become a little more longitudinal instead of episodic? Because we, we realized that these, when you're talking about generational poverty, there's so many aspects to it that creating, it, it's sort of the idea of how do you create sort of a collective impact model that is going to sustain itself. And I like to think that part of what we do locally, I like to think is that we convene and we enable. And that's really part of the, I, I love that aspect of my job. It's really meeting folks on the ground business leaders, community, and convening and talking about opportunities. And, you know, collaboration is really the key here. Bringing people together from different walks of life with different perspectives. I love when, you know, business people invite advocacy and community groups to speak to, to really mm -hmm. understand what's happening in the community. And so this wasn't an additive. This, this generational poverty issue wasn't necessarily additive doing more than we were doing. It was simply bringing people together maybe a little differently, strengthening existing programs. It wasn't adding more stuff. It was simply looking at the stuff we already had and saying, how do we sustain this? Who are going to be sort of the folks that are going to continue this work and make it sustainable? How do we enable and facilitate? Part of it is, of course, through grants and through gifts. But it's also through dialogue. It's also through connecting folks. And I think that that's really the, the really powerful part of bringing communities together is those connections. So in short, I think this is about kind of all, all of our, you know, market presidents, uh, you know, South Florida, Fort Lauderdale has a zip code, as, as does Orlando and Jacksonville. It, it's really the market presidents came together, the teams and their relationships and said, we're not necessarily going to add more. We're just gonna we're just gonna bring people together in a little bit of a different way to understand. And you've 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 heard of the 2020 plan in St. Petersburg, yeah. how successful mm -hmm. that was. And I think I see a lot of sort of the same elements of what made that program successful in St. Pete borrowed into this generational uh, resilient communities uh, initiative. Again, just bringing the right people together, empowering those conversations, and looking sort of longitudinally. And it's not going to be fixed. In one generation, and these problems run deep. Mm -hmm. They they run across everything from financial management to health, to understanding the social drivers, the food deserts, the transportation issues, workforce development. Mm -hmm. It runs the gamut. So we need as many people on board. So again, the strength I think is really in bundling those resources, bringing people together. Yeah, that's great. You're so on target with that as well. So here's another effort we wanted to talk with you about. And that's with funding support from the Florida Blue Foundation. Tampa Bay Partnership formed Project Opioid Tampa Bay in 2021 uh, to mobilize business, 
philanthropic and faith leaders in our region around a singular mission, which is to reduce opioid deaths in our community. So tell us where the project is in terms of developing a strategy to reduce these opioid deaths. So I think this is this is a real a real stark problem because you know, people are are dying. It is I think three things come to mind, and the context of this, of course, is you know the, the COVID pandemic. And when I talked about earlier, you know, exposing vulnerabilities, I, I actually have a background in mental health, and, and this is a very interesting phenomenon. Not very surprising that it's been difficult to cope with change and all of the things we've been seeing in terms of the pandemic, the job loss, working from home, mental health has been so so huge. That's been another one of our, of our focus areas. And our uh, CEO, Pat Garrity, has announced some additional, about 3.8 million for mental health because they go hand in hand. When you talk about sort of substance abuse disorder or having mental health and substance abuse together, it falls under behavioral health, and you can't really separate the two. We know that people have not had access to mental health services as probably, you know, as bad as sometimes access to health care. We have, again, and I say this because the pandemic has brought some of these things to focus. As it has brought social determinants, we've also seen the relationship between mental health and health and addiction. It's really, it's really sort of a constellation. And so fentanyl is a synthetic opioid, which is 50 times stronger than heroin. That is entering and has been entering you know, the, the street drugs. It's been entering the population. It is deadly. So this, is a, this uh, opioid epidemic has brought a lot more fatalities to the Tampa Bay area, 55 people a day. Uh, so I want to just say that this is an urgent, it's a public health crisis. Three people die on average every day in Tampa Bay. And it's expensive in terms of emergency room visits, in terms of lost workforce productivity. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a very you know, serious concern of ours. And Dr. Nick Dewan, who's leading our efforts in understanding the opioid pandemic, you know, explained to us, uh, we do have a, internally, a workforce that looks at opioid, some of the things we can do as a company. And back in 2017, we actually took OxyContin off of our formula. So even, you know, we started to see sort of, you recall back in 2017, the, the OxyContin uh, mm-hmm. drug was extremely addictive. So we went ahead and took it off of our formula. As I mentioned, we also have an opioid stewardship committee. So these are things we're doing internally, but Dave Pizzo, our market president, brought together a group of business leaders uh, through the Tampa Bay Partnership to really look at this opioid addiction through collaborative business development leaders. And so this this has been uh, an important effort in the fight. So in 2021, we took we took a step. Dave Pizzo, our market leader in West Florida, he was really instrumental in helping us as an organization uh, understand the enormity of this public health crisis, and particularly here in, in Tampa Bay, we had a, a group of business leaders that got together and the Tampa Bay Partnership, which has been great in terms of providing the data to, to understand this crisis better. But in the short term, we, we really want to save lives. In the next 36 months, we want to see a 50% reduction in, in death 
and in overdoses. You know, 77% of the overdoses we're seeing are opioid related, for example. We're all, we also know that addiction and the fatalities uh, that are resulting from the opioid uh, crisis are, are also disproportionately growing in the uh, communities of color. We've, we're seeing a, a rapid increase, particularly around 25 to 50. So I think the next step in, in, in this effort is really looking at intervention, when that intervention makes sense, prevention, and then also in expanding Medicaid, uh, medication-assisted treatment, and then access to mental health, as we talked about earlier, because they go hand in hand. Got to have uh, mental health services available to more people, because that is part of sort of, you look at healthcare, it's a holistic model of, of wellness. Yeah. You have to have sort of that as well. Yeah. So yeah, over the next 36 months, 50% reduction, we'd like to see that. That's really the goal. Great. And increasing sort of that, uh, what we call that MAT or medication-assisted treatment, okay. um, as well as access to, to mental health services. Yeah, and I'm sure that the need for more mental health services during the pandemic, not only related to the opioid crisis, but stress and, you know, other issues uh, has become so important. So really, really happy y'all are out there in the front of addressing this issue. Nick, it's also clear that Florida Blue has embraced a, a corporate philosophy that aims to address some of the state's most critical issues. And so what is your what is your message to other corporations and companies about, you know, what they can do to make a difference? You know, we're all in this together. <laughs> it, it, I, I find such value in bringing people together and having authentic conversations. And sometimes those conversations are difficult to have, but I think they're needed, particularly now when we've seen, you know, the effects. Everything has become, you know, around, you know, we take the pandemic, for example, things have become you know, politicized. Sometimes it's hard to have conversations, but they're so necessary. And understanding and listening to what the community is really saying and needing, I, I, I find in my 15 years of, of working with the business community and with the nonprofit sector, that has been the most valuable lesson. Once you understand and can connect individuals that may not know about, you know, and, and you know, I live in St. Petersburg and, you know, we, we, have, we have a bridge, Tampa, St. Pete. Mm -hmm. It's been interesting to me over the years that we have been a little insular. You know, you've got great work going on in Pinellas. You've got great work going on in Tampa. I think part of, as business leaders, part of the value we can bring is, you know, I, I'm talking to community leaders and business leaders, you know, at least before the pandemic, on a daily basis, you know, going to board meetings and committee meetings and hearing about great work like the 2020 plan, like the OPR project, so many things that are going on, but bringing people together to have conversations so we're not so siloed mm -hmm. is, is really important. It's a simple thing. It's a simple thing having that dialogue. It, I think it's, it's, it's really, really important. And be involved. I think one of the things that the Florida Blue does very well is we have a culture of volunteerism. We have corporate social responsibility that's first and foremost. We live by our values. And I, I think that generates in our employees and our leaders a sense of commitment that transcends, and, and, and maybe transcends is the wrong word. It, it informs our core business. It informs the way we conduct business in the state.
So I think part of part of that is, you know, for other business leaders, consider, consider, you know, what that might look like in your organization. Well, Nick, you know, United Way Suncoast has worked with and partnered with Florida Brew on a number of different projects. Y'all have partnered with us and supported our efforts during disasters. We work very closely with Florida Blue around eviction uh, crisis that's facing our community yes. uh, in the university area. And I can go on and on and on. So certainly you can attest to your support of the community. And so it has been a, a real honor to have you on this podcast. And we really wish you continued success at Florida Blue. I've learned so much and I'm sure our listeners uh, will feel the same. So thank you. Thank Coming you. up, I'll have my big takeaway about social determinants of health. But first, here's a message about United Way Sun Coast. Every step forward transforms into something bigger. United Way Sun Coast multiplies our community impact creating powerful outcomes that individuals need to thrive. With every donation, every volunteer hour, and every advocate, United Way Suncoast creates opportunities today, transforms lives tomorrow, and builds a more equitable future for generations to come. United we rise. United we win. On the surface, United Way Suncoast doesn't appear to be a health-oriented nonprofit. Uh, we focus on early learning, youth success, and financial stability, which includes workforce development. However, our core work helps improve the lives of families. As we improve the lives, we increase healthy outcomes. And as you have heard during the podcast, social determinants of health, socioeconomic status, employment, education, neighborhood, and physical environment, and transportation, uh, these all play a role in health outcomes. So when we devote millions of dollars to mitigating the eviction crisis, we're addressing health outcomes. When we partner with organizations to help aspiring workers attain professional certificates, we're addressing health outcomes. When our place-based initiatives provide meals, resume guidance, and job training, we are addressing health outcomes. So even when we work with school districts to elevate the reading scores of third graders, we are addressing health outcomes. So the importance of social determinants never proved more evident than at the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic. The pandemic's disproportionate impact on communities of color told us what we have known for so long, that health inequities and social inequality can no longer be ignored. Historian Thomas Carlyle said, he who has health has hope and he who has hope has everything. This is why we will continue to do all we can to lift up community residents. And this is why we will continue to work with partners like Florida Blue, because we know that united we rise, united we win.